Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to start a new series. And we're going to start a series out of the book of Jonah called Running Away. Nice little water thing. We we probably all know the story of Jonah a little bit. Um, But we all have times where we want to run away. We all have times where we want to run away. One of those times in my life was when I was a senior in high school. Anybody here experience uh, senior, I almost said tinnitus. Anybody here experience senioritis when they they were like looking at freedom you know, they're looking at like, okay, I'm almost out of high school. And I, for me, I was ready. I was ready to flap my wings and fly away. And I was just getting bored and tired. And the one thing that I had keeping me going is that me and three of my friends had planned right after high school to take a 2,000-mile uh, road trip across the western U.S. And so we were really excited about this. You know, we were like rats getting ready to be let out of the cage. We just wanted to, wanted to zip away. And the previous summer, I had bought my first car. And the first car that I, I bought was a, it was for $800, so you know it was quality. Um, but it was, a, uh, it was a Ford Tempo sedan, bright blue. Um, and it had this great cat odor that I couldn't get out of it. No matter how many times I tried to scrub, I uh, used every single chemical known to man, I couldn't get rid of the cat owner, uh, owner cat odor. Uh, <laughs> In, in my car, and yet me and four, uh, three friends thought it would be a great idea, uh, idea to spend two weeks sitting in this car, traveling all over the country in the heat. Um, we put a huge turtle shell. Have you seen those things? These big composite, like bigger than like the, uh, um, some of the small, you know, some of the small ones. There's a big turtle shell on top of the roof that we strapped down to hold all of our stuff. So we just looked ridiculous uh, driving down the road. Um, but we convinced ourselves that this trip was going to be great. And I, I basically, like, it helped get me through the end of high school, just dreaming about getting out and, and taking this trip. And it was, it, when we took off, it did go pretty well until day two. And <laughs> day two, we got to day two. Day one was awesome. And then we got to day two. We're driving up near Mount Shasta, and all of a sudden the car starts to overheat. And so we pull over to the side of the road, and I'm just bummed because I'm thinking, this is the end of the trip. Um, but 20 minutes later, it starts up just fine, so we take off again. It's like, okay, we're good, we're good. And then 20 minutes, it overheats again. And we pull over. And this, we, this went on for hours, getting from where we were at uh, out to, like, the North California coast somewhere. And uh, the, the sad thing is, is that we drove 1,500 miles in that kind of stop-and-go fashion like we we didn't we couldn't figure out what the problem was so we just resigned ourselves to keep on driving and we we went 20 minutes on 20 minutes off basically this huge loop um there was one day where we were driving from uh, las vegas up to salt lake and it was supposed to take about six hours and it ended up taking about 14 hours to get there and we we had reserved a campsite and uh, the gate was closed to the campground when we got there so we ended up um, sleeping in a local neighborhood found a park somewhere and fortunately we didn't get arrested but by the end of this trip we were just done we were ready to be done and get 
like get home and we didn't like each other and we didn't like my car and we didn't like like anyone's driving i mean we were just we it was it was a disaster and yet that's what i had like put like all my hope in is like oh it's just going to be so great when i can just run away when i can just get out of uh, out of high school leave my home and just just go and it just ended up being a disaster good memories though you know great sermon illustration years later um <coughs> But, you know, as humans, we all think sometimes that we can solve our problems by running away. Oh, man, if I, could just, if I could just leave, if I could just get away from whatever's bothering me, that would solve everything. You know, because we all have things in our lives that we, we uh, realities that we wish were different. Um, sometimes we have jobs that suck the life out of us. Um, sometimes we have tension in our marriage, in our family. Uh, sometimes we have conversations that we know we need to have with people, but we just chew on <laughs> that we don't want to have. And uh, maybe if, if it's work, maybe like me, uh, sometimes in, in, in the past when I drive to a job I didn't like, I drive really, really slow. Anybody else see that? I just drive really slow because I didn't want to be there. And, you know, you drive to work and you see, like, your boss's car or a co-worker's car, and immediately, like, the stress just starts to, like, fill your heart, right? It just like fills your veins. And instead, sometimes we want to we wanna just keep on driving, right? We just want to get on the freeway and keep on driving and maybe turn, turn uh, Tom Petty on and like, and I'm free, free falling. You know, we just want to drive and, and keep going. And uh, we all have that tendency to run. We all have that tendency to run. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this guy who ran the story of Jonah. You know, if you were in Sunday school for more than two minutes, you know who Jonah is. Like, he is, he's a pretty popular figure in the Bible. But really, he is one of the most fascinating figures in the Bible because Jonah had a calling from God. He, he had this important calling to be God's prophet. And yet, what we see in him is, is an extremely human experience. We see that he wants to run, that he doesn't like what God says, and so instead he, he does his own thing. And I know a lot of us know about Jonah because of the whale or the fish, and um, I'm sorry to disappoint. We're not going to look at all the scientific reasons why Jonah could have survived three days in a fish's belly, other than it was a miracle, okay? It just was a miracle, and if God can raise the dead, I'm sure he can keep someone alive in a whale belly for, for three days. Um, but, you know, Jonah, when he, you know, the struggle is real for him. When he hears what God wants him to do, it's not even really a thought. He just leaves. It reminds me of my son, like when I tell him it's time to get dressed, he just splits as fast as he can the other direction. And I'm like, dude, you need to wear clothes, okay? I know you're two, but you still need to wear clothes before you go outside in 30-degree weather. And, but anyways, he, he, he doesn't think about it. He just runs. And um, Jonah actually b is mentioned in the Bible before the book of Jonah. He's mentioned in 2 Kings. And we find out that he was a prophet during the time of this king Rehoboam, or Jeroboam in Israel. And Jonah's first assignment was a pretty easy one. God just sent him to tell a group of people, that um, the Israelites, that God was going to expand their border. That he was going to increase their land. Like, that's good news. Everybody likes that guy, right? Everybody likes the guy who brings the good news. 
Um, but as we look here in the book of Jonah, we get, we get to see what happens when, when God ups the pressure on him. So this is Jonah 1, 1 here. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and f- uh, to flee to Tarshish. By the way, I'm going to say Tarshish a lot today, and it's kind of a funny word to say, so uh, bear with me. Um, Rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God's saying, Jonah, get up. It's time. We've got another assignment for you. Um, he tells, we're going to go to the city of Nineveh, okay? That's, that's the next plan. And so Nineveh, just so you know, it was this huge city at the time. It was the capitals of the Assyrian Empire, which at the time was the biggest empire that had ever existed on the face of the earth. And Nineveh was a really influential and strategic city. And uh, here's the problem with Nineveh. The people who lived there were really scary, like, the Assyrians were, were a brutal people. Like, they do brutal things to their enemies. Um, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but they would impale people. They'd skin people. They'd do worse things than that. They, like, made barbarians look soft. Like, they were, they were rough people. And so they had earned this reputation of being a sadistic, an evil, a power-hungry people. And it's to that scary place that God calls Jonah. You know, he he tells Jonah to go into the town and to call out against it. He doesn't say to go there to condemn the people. He says to go there to confront the people with their sins so that they might turn back to God. It's a picture of God's redemption that even God, uh, God even wants to, to redeem even the most brutal people. You know, it's just this amazing picture of his grace. And so how does Jonah respond to that call? Jonah doesn't just reject the plan. Jonah rejects the God of the plan. Like, he doesn't just reject the plan. He ditches his faith in the process. Like, I don't just like this plan, God. I don't like you anymore. And he just wanted to get away from the presence of God. And we later find out that Jonah, another part is Jonah would rather see Nineveh judged than forgiven. Like, he's not on board with the grace of God. He's not on board with God's plan. He just, he'd rather see them judged than forgiven. And so instead, Jonah runs 3,500 miles in the opposite direction to this tiny little port town called Tarshish. And it was this uh, port town on the southern coast of Spain. So at that time, it was like as far away as you could get. It's as far away in the known world as you could get to. And so in leaving, there wouldn't be anyone, there there wouldn't be anyone he could possibly know, and there wouldn't be any reminders of God. It would just be free from it all. He wanted to run from everything he knew, everything that he was. And as you think about that, and, you know, we talked about what makes Jonah fascinating, maybe you can relate to that kind of struggle. Maybe you can relate to Jonah struggling with God's plan. You know, when I read some of the things in the Bible, sometimes it makes me go, really? Like when I read of s- some of Jesus' commands for us, like Jesus' command to love our enemies, when I read that, that Jesus wants us 
um, to die to ourselves, when he wants us to um, give everything we have to follow him. Like, if you think about those things, th- those can be really threatening things. Like, those can threaten the way that we want to live. You know, I think we really want to live like uh, like our relationship with God to be like a video game where you can go in and choose the difficulty settings. Like, okay, I want to follow God on the easy setting. You know, I know there's a medium setting and a hard setting, but, you know, I just, I just want the easy setting. By the way, like, uh, I don't know why they make medium and hard settings in video games. I mean, th- you just do those, like, you know, I, I do them to kind of check out. So I like it to be as easy as possible. But, um, but anyways, we want, sometimes we want our relationship with God to pick the difficulty setting on there. And like, okay, some people have the easy road, the, the middle road, and the hard road. But if we, if we take the Bible at its word, we know that life with God is anything but easy. Um, to follow Jesus means that we take up our cross just like he did and follow him. That, there's that, that we get to come and experience life, but in that we die to ourselves, and that's a painful process. You know, following Jesus, it's always going to be challenging. And he even says in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He says that the way to life is hard. The path of Jesus is hard and it's narrow. And then we have this wide road that leads to death. There's these two roads that we can choose to walk down. And I think for Jonah, he wanted to follow a God that made things easy and sensible, things that made sense to him. Like Jonah couldn't believe that God would want to show grace to such a sadistic people. And Tim Keller said it this way. He said that Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reasons for God's command, there couldn't be any. So ultimately, Jonah's trusting in his own reasoning other than God's. You know, he didn't understand God's grace, God's heart for people. That he, the, We just sang about this reckless love, that he didn't understand God's pursuit of every heart. And uh, so instead, instead of seeking to understand or trusting, he just rejects this challenge. And I would say this is, you know, we often we want God to affirm us. We want a God who will affirm our thinking, but God didn't come to affirm us. God came to transform us. He came to transform our thinking, transform our minds, transform the way we live. It says in Romans 12 that we'd be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that when we hang out with Jesus, we start to think differently. And so, you know, God transforms us sometimes by calling us to do hard things. There are difficulties in our life that we don't understand why they're there, but God uses those things to transform us, to reach out to him. You know, and God's commands are difficult. God's call to love our enemies is difficult, but in it, he transforms our hearts. Um, God's call to pray for those who persecute us, that's a transforming heart thing. You know, and when we step out in faith, the part of God's purpose in that is that we would be transformed more into the image of Jesus. 
But in that, we all have the same choice that Jonah did. We can choose to trust even in the things that we don't understand, or we can choose to do our own thing and run. And so my question is, are you in a place where you find yourself running? Do you find yourself running away from God? It could be in little things in your life, or it could be in, in your whole self. You are running from God. Because we all have those places, and they look different. You know, some of us could be running, and we, we might seek out a new romantic relationship. You know, we might seek to find someone else to help bring us the joy and satisfaction that, that God says that he can provide. You know, if only, we think if only, if only we could find that perfect person. And I want to tell you that that perfect person doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, because ultimately, who you're getting is someone just as imperfect as you. And that person can never satisfy all of those deep longings in your heart like God can. Another imperfect person can't fulfill the God role in your heart. Only God can redeem you. But it's not just in relationships that we look for salvation. Often we, we look for it in money and being secure financially. You know, our culture often views money as a ticket to freedom. Like if I just have enough money, I can do whatever I want to do. I can, uh, you know, I can retire well. I can create the perfect family environment that I want. But you really can't be dependent on God and dependent on money at the same time. Like God says that you can't serve both God and money. And so part of dying to ourselves is, is releasing that need to control through money just to God's hands. You know, it's easy to, uh, and, and I'll say this, it's important that we are wise with our finances. It's important that we are wise stewards. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Financial Peace University and not just, not, not just being unintentional with the resources God's given us, but to actually, um, actually be wise and, and seek him in how we spend our money. But if we put our hope there, it can become idolatry. You know, and that's the idolatry of our age is, is being able to set ourselves up well financially. You know, thinking that if, if we have enough money that we can uh, make ourselves happy. And the problem with that is that sometimes it can take our heart off of what God wants it to be on. Like God's purpose is a lot more important than our purpose, you know. Like we want to create a better life for ourselves and God wants to go save the world, you know, and so God would call us to even surrender our finances to him and trust him so that we can live fully on his mission. So whether it's a relationship, whether it's finances or something else, we all have a place like Tarshish that we run to. And so God, you know, sometimes God wants us to pursue, well, all the time God wants us to pursue him, but sometimes we want to pull the ripcord and we want to go in the other direction. We start daydreaming about other places, somewhere warmer, maybe. You know, what if I just quit and moved, you know? And um, I've, uh, not recently, but I've had that conversation in the past with Bonnie, like, well, what if we just scrapped it and did this? And Bonnie's like, no, not again, Tyler. Just come on, man, hold it together. And that's not a recent conversation, okay? Uh, just so you know. Um, but whatever you build up in your head, that, that thing is never going to meet your expectations. 
And what Jonah finds out as he flees is that he can never leave the presence of God. So we're going to continue on. This is Jonah 1.4. It says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid. Not the Seattle mariners, by the way, although they probably will be this year. Um, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? I think a better translation for that be would that would be like what you tell your kids in the morning. What are you doing in bed, sleepyhead? Get up. You know, I think that would be more like that. Anyways, it says, Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will gi- or perhaps the God will give you a give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah thought that the, that by fleeing Tarshish, he could just avoid God, that he could fulfill his plan, that God would be cool with just letting him go. It's like, all right, well, if you want to do your thing, like, go do your thing. But that's not God. Like, God's a jealous God. And he's not going to let Jonah run wherever he wants to go. And so Jonah finds out in this, m- this moment how futile his attempt to get away from God is. And if instead of finding peace, he finds chaos. Instead of finding life, he finds himself on the verge of his own death. And this is, woo, all right, well, that's good. I was just about to give you a main point, so a little bit more power. Um, This is what we discover. Self-rule is a false freedom. I want to hang out on this thought today, that self-rule is a false freedom. We think that by having control, by running away, by doing what we want to do, that we'll find freedom. And what this shows us and what the the Bible would tell us is that that's false, that we can't find freedom apart from God. If we think we can, we, we never will. We'll deceive ourselves. Paul says in Romans that if we aren't slaves to God, if we aren't sons and daughters of God, we become slaves to sin. We become slaves to our own selfishness, our own earthly desires. Johnny Cash talked about the beast in me, you know, and I think of that as our flesh. You know, it's kind of this raging bull that, uh, and I, d- I didn't think I'd be quoting Johnny Cash today, but uh, it's good sometimes. But, you know, we all have this beast in us, this flesh that has earthly desires, and if we let that go out of control, it leads us down the path of self-destruction. You know, we can follow that beast towards affairs that rip our family apart by addictions that rip our family apart. We can, we can lead that beast towards uh, indifference or things just comfort and, and purposelessness um, instead of uh, finding life in God. Paul said in Romans 6.20 this, he said, it should be on the screen, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You think about the fruit of our own self-rule. He's saying ultimately it's death. Ultimately it has an end. Like basically every path we have outside of Jesus is a literal dead end. Like it is a, it's a dead end outside of Jesus. I like the way Rick McKinley puts it. He says this kind of puts our perspective and what we're looking for. He says, all around us, life is dying. 
Therefore, life is insufficient. We want more. We want life that is more than this, that won't fade, that can endure, and that will ultimately satisfy in perfect love and goodness. But that life is nowhere to be found in us or in this world. You know, our own self-rule leads to death. If you think about the things apart from God that got you excited 10 years ago, they're probably not the same things. Those things are probably long gone. And um, there's, nothing, uh, th- there's nothing about self-rule that leads to life. It's part of that wide path that leads to chaos and to death. And so the only place that we can find life is in that narrow path of Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus that we have that life. And when Jonah cho- chooses his own way, it leads him quickly into chaos. And I want to sum up Jonah's chaos because that's what we get when we do run and, and, and try to live for ourselves. Ultimately, we run into chaos. And uh, you could sum up Jonah's chaos with these three words. Storms, and they'll happen to begin with S, which is really helpful. Um, but storms, sleep, and shame. When Jonah runs from God, what he experiences are storms, sleep, and shame. And I'll explain a little bit here. You know, first, God brings a storm to confront Jonah as he runs. Like, God cares too much about Jonah to just let him do his own thing. He wants to intervene so that Jonah will realize that he can't get away from God. And likewise, God will use storms, and he'll use difficulties in our lives to realize that we're not in control that we're ultimately not in control of our lives, that we need a Savior, that we need God to help us. And when we cry out to him, God wants to save us. And he loves us, loves us enough to interrupt our plans for our own good, for our eternal good. And I think a good question to ask yourself in, in the middle of a storm is this. Where, where, am, where do I think God is in my chaos? Where do I think God is in my chaos? Because sometimes we don't, we don't have the right picture. Sometimes we think that God is standing far away and that he's just disinterested or disappointed in our chaos. And I know in, in my past I've felt that too. Like I, I had the wrong idea that God was just disinterested. Like you've messed up too many times. Sorry, I have a limit. You're done. You know, or, you know, he was just constantly disappointed. But that's not what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that God is near and that God is acceptable and that God is reaching out to us, that he is available, ready to embrace us. And sometimes it's only when our plans fall apart that we truly turn to God with our whole hearts, with, with everything we have. And sometimes it's only when things fall apart that we realize that we need salvation. But we can turn to God or we can do what Jonah did and go back in the ship and sleep. So Jonah chose not to, not, not to address the storm, but just to sleep, just to ignore it. You know, and many of us might choose to ignore the storm in our lives. And it's really easy today to distract ourselves with whatever we have around us. There's tons of ways that we can distract ourselves rather than deal with our storms. You know, we can numb ourselves any way we really want to in our culture, whether that's with a substance, or whether that's with pornography, or whether that's with something that's more innocent, 
Like I had I had buddies in college that would spend 12 hours a day uh, playing video games, and they were failing out of college. And instead of addressing it, they just played played games. And um, you know, I wish, you know, I, I wish I could say, oh yeah, I, I never did that. No, I I would do that as well. I wouldn't play for 12 hours a day, but. Um, but, you know, we all have our different things. Like, what about, uh, you know, workaholism? You know, if maybe we avoid something at home by working more, by just getting lost in what's going on at work instead of, I- instead of addressing something that we need to address. You know, work can't be our place of rest. And if we're going to get real during the storm, then we've got to unplug and we've got to wake up. We've got to own what's going on. We've got we've to be sober-minded, like it says in First Peter. Sober-minded to the reality that we experience. Because God wants to meet us in that storm. God wants to meet us in that storm. Uh, Derek talked uh, last week about how God is waiting at the door. You know, he, he's knocking, and it's up to us to let him in. Like, are you ready to listen to God this morning? And when Jonah did wake up, his first response was shame. Like he felt the shame of that moment. And I want to read what happens here. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Or what, saying, what is your business here And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're just grilling him. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Well, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know, it's it's the pagan sailors that are more obedient than Jonah in this moment, that wake up and realize, okay, Jonah, you are disobeying God, and it's costing us our lives. And so this is a low moment for Jonah. This is when he's faced with his failure, when he's faced with his shame, when he's faced with his hurt, when his plans are wrecked, when his disobedience is just out for everyone to see. But just like with Jonah, God meets us in that place of shame, in those low moments. He meets us in those low places and lifts us up. I was reading Psalm 130 earlier this week, and there's a a part of it that just struck me where it said that um, in God we have steadfast love and in God we have plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption. We always have enough redemption for whatever is going on in our lives. We always have enough redemption to save us from whatever storm is around us, that there's this well of redemption within God that that we all can draw from no matter where we're at or how far away we feel. And you know what happens to Jonah. This is what happens in verse 15. It says, So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And here's the redemption part. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God uses a fish to save Jonah. Jonah had resigned himself to die. 
he had been like, okay, God, your punishment, your, your justice is coming. I'll just let these guys live, and I'll get thrown in the sea. And he thought it was over, but it wasn't over. And God sends this fish to swallow him up and save Jonah in, in sort of a gross way. But he, he, saves, he saves Jonah. And band, you guys can come on up as we're going to um, start to wrap up here. But I want to leave you with this, guys, as we close. Um, we find freedom from our chaos only when we surrender to God's will. Only when we're living in God's will, only when, when, when we're seeking God, when we've aligned our lives with him, that's where the real freedom is. It's not in self-rule. It's not in our chaos. God wants to save us from that. And that's why he sent us Jesus. Because Jesus, uh, in Jesus, we find our life. God can raise us from the dead. Like you might feel like you're just completely disconnected from God and he can save you because God can, um, God can raise the dead. And just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so was Jesus. And God raises him from the dead. He brings redemption through Jesus. And in Jesus, he invites you onto that narrow path, the way that leads to life the way where you can become alive, where you can find out who you were meant to be is on that path. It's on that journey. It's in the middle of God's will, not as a slave, but as a son or a daughter of God. We find our freedom when we know that we are not a slave to sin, but we are a son or a daughter of God. That God gives freedom and that even when we mess up, he gives us grace. His Grace is plentiful. There's plentiful redemption. Even when we screw up, even when we've been a Christian for years and veer off, there's redemption waiting for us. We just need to keep on going. And so this morning, wherever you're at, you might need to recognize that you are in chaos and that you need Jesus to save you from whatever that is, whether that's for the first time where you're like, I've been living on my own, doing my own thing for years, and it's not working, and I realize that I need Jesus. Or it's in a certain area of your life that you've been fighting for years and you want, or, or months or days or whatever, and you need God to give you freedom. You need God to save you from your chaos because he will. And it could just be that you're in the middle of the storm and you just need someone to come alongside. You need Jesus to rescue and pull you out of that storm. And if, if any of that is you this morning, I want to encourage you to reach out to God as we pray. Let's pray. Jesus, you are God in the chaos. You are God in the storm. You are God in the good times and the bad. And Lord, wherever we're at this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to reach out to you. And even now, if you, are, if you feel like you're running from God and you want to seek God this morning, I just ask you to put your hand up and pray this with me. God, I want to stop running. Lord, would you save me from my chaos? 
Would you save me from my pain? Would you reach down into the middle of the mess and pull me out? Jesus, I recognize that you are Lord, that you are Savior, and that you love me, God. Would you redeem me this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.